Today's scripture comes from Luke 24, verses 44 through 53. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. This is a very special Sunday. Not only is it Heritage Sunday and the Sunday on which we will uh, celebrate the ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but it's also Aldersgate Day. May 24th is Aldersgate Day. It's a time in the United Methodist Movement when we celebrate John Wesley's special time of his heart being strangely warmed. You may know that on May 24th in 1738, John Wesley experienced the assurance of his salvation. He had reluctantly agreed to attend a group that evening on Aldersgate Street in London. As he heard a reading from Luther's preface to the Book of Romans, he felt his heart strangely warmed. Wesley wrote about that in his journal that at about 8.45 p.m., while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. I hope that we have had times like John Wesley has to feel that assurance of salvation, to have our hearts strangely warmed. That's why we are in community with one another, to continue to inform each other, to continue to grow spiritually, that our hearts might be strangely warmed and we might feel that assurance that God gives us through Jesus Christ. Today is the Ascension Day, and it's a time, I think, when maybe those disciples and maybe some of us have felt our hearts strangely warmed, a new understanding of Jesus, a greater vision of Jesus, a clearer vision of who Jesus is revealing through himself for our God to be. 
Jesus is the revelation of God to us. In his birth, his human life and death, he demonstrated his complete humanity. And in his resurrection and ascension, he demonstrates his complete divinity. He reminds us of God's promise to send the Holy Spirit to remain with us always. And this time is a preparation for the opening of our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit, which comes down on Pentecost, which we celebrate next week. This time of preparation equips us as disciples to go out and spread the gospel, enabling the church to grow. Easter Tide is the journey to Pentecost. Forty days after Jesus' resurrection, he ascends to heaven. And during this season, we reflect on his life and death and resurrection. In pop culture, there's a question that we hear sometimes, and that's, what's your superpower? Sometimes we hear it in jokes like, I can make coffee disappear, what's your superpower? Or maybe on someone's t-shirt that says something like, I'm a librarian, what's your superpower? It's even something that's the subject of Facebook quizzes or even job interviews. That might be a question that would throw the candidate off its balance so that they might have to think quickly and, ooh, what superpower would I want to have? This passage today that you heard Megan read is all about power, but it's the power of Jesus Christ that superpower to reveal to us God's love and to show us that the promise of the Holy Spirit that will be with us always, that power of that Holy Spirit, that wind that creates the church, that sustains the church, will be with us always, even during a pandemic when we are at home and seemingly separate. You know, Electronic devices die. I find that if my phone battery is dead, maybe it's an indication that I'm working too hard. My battery might need to be recharged too. My husband is a law enforcement officer has always used devices, even before cell phones came out, that used lithium batteries. And one thing about lithium batteries, at least the old ones, was that when you charge them, especially the first time, you have to charge it all the way. You have to charge it so that it knows how much potential it has, so that it knows that it can charge to 100%. If that first time you only charge your computer or your cell phone or your new device part way, it has a sort of ghost memory and it only goes that far before going back down. So it never reaches the full potential of a full charge. And in order to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to have our full potential. We need to be fully charged. We need to be fully empowered by the Holy Spirit through the revelation that Jesus Christ is of God, right? That we have been created to share this good news. This good news that love prevails over hate, that life prevails over death, and we are assured of that salvation. So, it's interesting when we look at this scripture, we see that Luke is the only evangelist to record the ascension. 
Isn't that funny? We talk sometimes about how stories are in each of the Gospels, and maybe there's a little different twist to each of them. But in this case, Luke is the only one to record the Ascension. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, the Ascension is presupposed, as it is in John 21, verse 22, when Jesus said, it, if it is my will that he, the beloved disciple, remain until I come, what is that to you? And Mark, Mark doesn't even mention it. So there's a lack of consensus here among the Gospels. There's a lack of continuity or, or telling of this story. It only occurs in Luke. And that might be because each Gospel reflects a different view of how the kingdom was going to be established. But you may know that Luke is also the writer of Acts. And Luke's vision seems to be making a theological space for the birth of the church, which is a view that he will develop in that book of Acts. The church is the main focus of Luke's theology. So Luke has two accounts of the Ascension, one in the Gospel that you just heard Megan read, and one in Acts. That's Acts 1, verses 6 through 11. And the purpose there seems to be the authorization of the work of proclamation. So the authorization that Jesus gives to the disciples and to us to proclaim God's love throughout the world. The authorization of our work. Do you feel empowered? I hope so. Jesus opened the disciples' minds through that that passage opened their minds to understand the scriptures both in Luke in verses 45 through 47 when he tells and, and as well as in verse 27 when he told the Emmaus travelers this is sort of a messianic key this is how to understand what has happened and you can sort of see the continuity through the Old Testament prophecies and through what he's been saying here this is a message for the Lucan community which needs to learn how to read the scripture with the new lenses that are provided by Jesus' life. The Holy Spirit is promised as a fulfillment of the Father's promise. Thus, it is a promise of a promise. The newborn church needs power in order to carry on its ministry effectively. The power that comes through the Holy Spirit, the power that comes because Jesus ascended. After the ascension, the disciples return to Jerusalem with great joy and are in the temple continually blessing God. Luke starts his gospel with similar ideas at the very beginning. Zechariah has a vision in the temple where he is informed by an angel of the impending birth of his son, John. The announcement was going to produce joy and gladness. That's in Luke 1 verse 14. But at both ends of the book of Luke, at both ends, the temple plays an important role, pointing to the Jewish roots of the church. It stresses continuity rather than separation. That idea of separation is painful, but we need to remember that the church was never just the building. Remember, the church is not the building. It's the people, right? It's the people. And we recognize the church goes on and worship goes on even when our church is closed. The church is essential and no one, not one of us, 
is expendable. We need to protect one another by continuing to worship in this way for now, so that when we all return, everyone will be included. Within the scripture, there's this reciprocal blessing, this idea that God blesses us and that we bless God. It's like when we say, I love you, and someone says, I love you back. That mutuality, that reciprocity of love, that's what it's all about, that motion of love. When you hear about the Holy Spirit in the story of Pentecost next week, you're going to hear about the power, right? But you're also going to hear about the movement that's so true of the Holy Spirit, the give and take, the reciprocity of that love, the mutuality of it. So what's the meaning and role of power in the church today? The power that we use the analogy of the the cell phone that needs to be charged back up, right? It's not power over something. It's not even power to do something. It's power with. It's the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the power to witness together power with a democratic, egalitarian kind of power which makes the difference between an institution that is bent on self-preservation and one that understands its vocation as prophetic witness in society. We are called to be those disciples that prophecy to the world, that declare and proclaim to the world the wonder of God's love and forgiveness. Isaiah 53 states, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? These are questions that are posed in the context of Jesus, the suffering servant that is described back there in Isaiah. But it's pertinent in Luke 24. In the beginning of Luke 24, there is an empty tomb. And two men in dazzling clothes ask the women who are there, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Those women run to the disciples to tell them what they have witnessed. You hear that word witness again. And the disciples didn't believe them. They didn't believe the report of the women because their eyes were not yet open to the truth of the resurrection. The women's witness was associated with an act of remembering. Though remembering is often associated with death, it's something that enables us to, to have a life-affirming action. To be remembered enables life to be continued, enables us to continue to hold on to all that that encompassed. It's like when you've forgotten your keys. You can't really go anywhere, right? You can't leave your house. You can't go in the car and you have to search for your key. I need to remember where I left my keys, right? You need to remember where the place is that you're going. You need to remember who the people are that you do things with. You need to remember how to do this thing or that. That act of remembering is one that empowers us to move forward. They remembered Jesus' words, those women. And after re remembering what he had taught them, the women at the tomb realized he was not dead. Even after his death, Jesus continues to teach his disciples. On the way to Emmaus, Peter and Cleopas encounter the risen Christ. After Jesus breaks and blesses the bread, 
Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished. That was in Luke 23, verse 31. When Jesus appears to them again, he reminds them of the words that he spoke so that they might remember, while I was still with you. They are instructed to remember. Jesus' teaching opens their minds to understand the scriptures. Remembering can open our minds and our eyes too. This was all done in the preparation of opening their hearts in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus instructs the disciples to stay in the city. Reading Jesus' instruction to the disciples through our own experience of sheltering in place sheds new light on the necessity of waiting. Now Jesus has been carried up into the heavens and the disciples are waiting until you have been clothed with power on high. Waiting is rarely easy, and it can be even more difficult to endure when we don't know when the end will be. This time of wondering when the church will reopen can be difficult, but within that but of remembering, we can understand Jesus' words when we hear them. I will be with you always. Watch and pray. Be patient and work in the meantime. I hope that some of you might have seen the picture that Dennis took that I included in the eWeekly this week. It's a picture of a single tulip with the church in the background. Isn't it gorgeous? It's just such a beautiful emblem to me of remembering that church, that place that we love and all that it symbolizes for us. Being maybe a little bit sad that we're not there right now, but look at the hope that that tulip represents, that new birth, that new possibility, that beauty that that tulip represents. Waiting is difficult, but when there is that hope, it makes it more palatable. The beginning of Acts describes a glimpse of what was happening. The writer describes a group as together and unified, 120 people who, who spent their time praying and waiting. And this time of preparation equipped the disciples to go out and spread the gospel, enabling the church to grow. It doesn't require a building for our church to grow. It requires us sharing the love of God with all that we can. And there are plenty of ways to connect, even though we're not seeing people right now. While they were waiting, they questioned when would Israel be redeemed. And just as suddenly as Jesus leaves, the Spirit descends. The disciples may not have experienced this waiting time as a time of preparation. Perhaps this is only in hindsight. Yet this season of waiting seemed necessary much like we are able to fully charge our devices, the disciples likewise had to wait to be clothed with power. After their initial charge, they had to wait. And if that charge had not been full, they would not have been able to operate at optimal levels. Easter tide is a journey. We remember that though Jesus has ascended, he does not leave us. Our minds and our eyes and our hearts 
are once again opened in order to receive the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our guide. There is no power without a season of preparation, without a period of waiting. May we be empowered to do the work of the Lord as we are reminded that this promised gift of God's presence will always be worth the wait. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.